What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. All right, well, go ahead and turn in a Bible if you have one or on your phone, or you can even look up on the screen. We're going to go back to 1 John chapter 4. We were there last week. And, uh, and just, I, th- I think the Lord decided that he wasn't done with this particular passage. Um, if you are taking notes, I, I do have a title for you. Uh, sometimes people like titles. And this is going to come from the, uh, from the theologian and the, the prophetess, um, Tina Turner. <laughs> What's love got to do with it? Nope. Not going to sing it. Oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, that's as far as we go. What's love got to do with it? That's what we're going to talk about today. And so uh, feel free to follow along with me as we, as we read um, from the Word of God. Again, First uh, John, which is really towards the end of your Bible, chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 7. We're going to actually reread some of the verses from last week, and I'm adding a couple of verses on to the tail end. <clears throat> so it's going to be um, have some good content for you. It says, Dear friends, let us continue... To love one another, for love comes from God. Pop quiz, where does love come from? Wow, y'all are good. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not uh, love does not know God, for God is, well, y'all are awake today. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen him with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. And we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. There it is again. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because, he, uh, because we live like Jesus here in this world. Here's some of the extra verses that we didn't do last week. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. I love that verse. I love that verse. If we were afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Uh, it says, we love, verse 19, we love each other because he loved us first. Break that down a little bit. That means we have the capability to love, not because we figured it out on our own, but because God gave us an example. And if someone says, I love, this is where, this is where we're going today. Y'all ready for this? If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Thank you, John, for not mincing words. 
For if we don't love people that we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So Jesus, we need you today. And I pray, Father, for every single one of us that you would open up our hearts to hear what you're trying to say. God, your word has never lost relevance ever, and it still is alive today. It speaks to our world. It speaks to our culture. It speaks to our relationships. It speaks to our individual lives, our challenges, our needs, our shortcomings, and our destiny. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to hear what you're trying to speak to all of us individually today. And, God, would you would help me, to, <laughs> help me to say what you're trying to get out of me today. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Amen. What's love got to do with it? Well, the simple answer is everything. Everything. Love has to do with everything. How we deal with people, how we deal with culture, how we deal with politics, how we deal with issues and differences, how we deal with marriage, how we deal with kids. Is this real for anybody yet? How we deal with bosses, how we deal with employees, how we deal with church, with pastors, with serving, with tithing, with giving, with generosity, with heaven and hell, with eternity. What's love got to do with it? You, everything. I know, I didn't really set that up for you. That's okay. So last week, now we're moving on. So last week, last week I talked about, um, we talked about love. <laughs> I did this message called Love 100. And how we can't really know what love is until we know how God defines love. See, if you were just, if you were to read John chapter or First John chapter four in the context of understanding love the way you have uh, experienced love in yourself or the way that culture around us has defined it, you would be uh, highly confused because it would be the opposite of what God's actually trying to talk about. I'm not going to re-preach last week's message. You can go back, listen to it again, watch it on YouTube, whatever. Uh, but it's so important, it's so critical for us to understand that it does not begin, relationship or whatever the context, it doesn't begin with love if it doesn't begin with God. It has to begin with God in order for the foundation to be in love. And here's the love that we're talking about. It's not the love of friendship, it's not the love of a desire, it is the love of God, which the Bible refers to in the original language in which the New Testament was written, which was mostly Greek. They use this word agape, which is great for everybody, right? You learned a Greek word in church today, but the importance of that is for us to understand that love in our English language doesn't do uh, justice for what God is trying to communicate about love in his word. And so the love that God knows and the love that God talks about is this selfless, no agenda, no hook, he's not trying to get something out of it. God is going to love you even if you never return the love. That's something that pretty much all of humanity, we can't get away with saying that, at least on a consistent basis. You know, maybe there's some people you can love for, for a while without anything in return or for a season, but there's gonna be struggles. But when it comes to the love of God, God doesn't grow weary in your lack of return love. That's good news. Can somebody say amen? I'm gonna have to wake y'all up a little bit. God doesn't give up on you when you don't return the love that he's given you. God has endurance when it comes to this. And so this week, again, as we're moving on into this, this new topic today, what's love got to do with it? Uh, for 2021, we believe that God has been speaking this theme to our church called Taking Ground. And taking ground in, re in your relationship with God, it has to start with you. Does that make sense? Like everything in your relationship with God has to start with you. 
It's not going to start with somebody else on the outside doing things for you and, and getting you somewhere. Those things can help. Those things are wonderful. But when it comes to your relationship with God, it has to start with you with you admitting and confessing that you realize who God is, that you accept who God is, that you invite God into your life, that, you, uh, that you're real about who you are back to God. Like, God, I need your help. God, I'm a dirty, nasty sinner. God, you know, whatever it may be, be real with God, not that he doesn't already know, but when you get real with God, there's something that opens up inside your heart to allow God to be real back with you. And the more that we allow God to be real back with us, we begin to realize that, wow, he really does love me. We don't have to live in fear because, again, God's perfect love expels all fear. We get to walk in this reality that no matter who I am, God's going to continue to love me. And he loves me so much that he refuses to allow me to stay the same. That's one of the beauties about the love of God. Yes, God loves you exactly where you are and exactly how you are, but he loves you so much that he's not willing to let you stay there. Because God created you with purpose, and there's something alive inside of you that only God can bring alive. There's something only God can breathe into and something only God can give purpose to and passion to. So taking ground, we want to take ground spiritually in our own life. We want to take ground uh, in our identity and our authority. We want to take ground in our relationships and our family. If you're married, taking ground in your marriage, taking ground with your children, taking ground even in your career. Because that's not something that is disconnected from the purpose that God has for you. God wants to use you where you are in your sphere and influence of life so that you can be salt and light to the world around you. We want to take ground in that. And even as a church, we want to continue to take ground in our community. We want to take ground in northern Nevada and uh, to infinity and beyond. That's a part of the official. Is that trademark? That's going to get shut down. Okay, that's fantastic. Love that starts with God is the love that our world needs. And so now, now I want to I clarify something too. Before we dive more into the extra verses that we, that we got in today, I want to make sure that I address something because in verses 20 and 21, this is what it says. It says, if someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. And he has given us this command, love, uh, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Now, here's why we need to talk about this because somebody might hear that and they might find comfort in the fact that from this particular two verses, I have permission to hate people who are not believers. Which can seem comical, but can we get real? <laughs> no, it, it's not. It's what we have happening here is we have John, in context, speaking to a specific audience about specific issues in the context of how they were self-proclaimed believers who were demonstrating hatred towards other people that were supposed to be their brothers and sisters. So John's dealing with a specific issue here, but this is not a theological doctrine of its own, speaking to how with you, you have to love those who say they love God, but if someone doesn't love God or doesn't at least express it the way that you think they should, then you have permission to delete and cancel them. Nope, that's not, that's not consistent throughout the entirety of Scripture. Let's go back. Let's go back to the Gospels. See, when in doubt, go back to something that Jesus said. When you read something in Scripture that's out of the Gospels and you're like, I don't, I'm not sure if, that, if I understand what's being said, go back and, into the Gospels or find somebody who can help you do that because Jesus always had something to say about the things that the rest of Scripture had something to say about. And he always brings clarity to those type of things, so check it out. If we can go back, here's something we got to realize too. Um, you, can never, you can never demonstrate Love for God by demonstrating hate for people created in his image. 
Some of y'all aren't there yet because you're like, well, hate's a big word, so I don't think I'm really operating in hate. We'll get there. I'm not saying you are. We're not pointing fingers. Everybody calm down, okay? It's just... So 1 John, 1 John 3, 11, this is actually just a chapter earlier. <clears throat> John says this message of loving others is the same that we have heard from the beginning. And so whether the beginning means the beginning of creation or the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, which is where John heard it from, either way, we're going back to what Jesus says. So in, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, Jesus says this. He goes, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And some people are like, yep, heard it. Thank you, Jesus, for saying it. I believe it and I receive it. I'll love my neighbor, but I get to hate my enemy. And then he, con he continues. But I say, love your enemies. Why are you doing this to us, Jesus? Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. It's funny. John was just saying that those who love God are God's children and God lives in them. Okay. It says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And it doesn't, the humor doesn't escape me that in this conversation, one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. Anyway, Matthew, he's like, really? I'm, right, I'm standing right here, Jesus. I can hear you. <laughs> Even, <laughs> verse 47, stay on the point. If you are kind to only your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. For you are to be perfect, another word for that is mature, because y'all don't, some people get freaked out over that word perfect. I can't do it. No. It says, but you are to be perfect, mature, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Basically, it's saying showing us, or showing us that loving those who seem like enemies is a matter of maturity. <laughs> Again, in Luke 10, 27, Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And then he goes on and proceeds to, to demonstrate through this incredible parable about the Good Samaritan, just who your neighbor is. And the outcome of what Jesus even says in that parable, and probably in the next month or so, we're going to be digging into that Good Samaritan parable, talking about who is your neighbor. Because if we can't take ground relationally with the people around us, then we won't be able to take ground in the bigger things. It's like we, the, the church can get so stifled and Jesus' followers can get so stunted in their progress and in their own personal growth because we refuse to embrace the full message that Jesus is trying to get us to carry. We have to be able to get past our own level of comfort in what the message of Christ is so that we can walk in the power of what the message of Christ is. Because the message of Christ is constantly going to be pushing against your humanity. He's going to constantly be pushing the envelope of what you are comfortable with and what you think you deal with and what others deal with. Because human nature loves to tell us that we can focus on the shortcomings of those around us. But what Jesus likes to do is say, hey, that's great about them. I'm dealing with you. I want to deal with the shortcomings that are in your life, not because I'm mad at you, not because I'm disappointed in you, but because I know that there's more in you. The very seed of your creator is alive inside of you and the spirit of God wants to come in that place and water that seed and see that thing come to life so that you can become the man of God, the daughter of God that he created you to be. But the moment that we begin to say, no, that's not really for me, that's for somebody else, we stop that growth. We have to maintain this posture of humility in our life and in our heart that says, God, I may not be where I was, but I know there's still more for you to do inside of me. I may not be as jacked up as I was last year this time, 
but I know that I'm not where I be. You know, we, we begin to make these benchmarks and these standards in comparison to other people or even in comparison to where we were as if we were the standard. But the reality is, is that you and I are not the standard. We, we, we can get frustrated when we look at what Christians are doing around us or people who call themselves Christians and, and we see demonstrations and, and we see people act out and we see people do things that make us feel uncomfortable or we disagree with or, or that represent Christ in a negative light. And we're like, man, again, it's just nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I want anything to do with that? Because Christians aren't the standard. Jesus is the standard. Guess what a Christian is? A jacked up, nasty old person just like you and me, who has experienced the love and the grace of God. Do we have any jacked up, nasty old people up in church today? All right, good. Just want to make sure you all are being honest. Really, not me. Well, in Jesus' name. So here's the deal. If we, if, we, if we allow the love of God to continue that transformation work, because, again, love is not a, a switch that you flip, right? It's not just flip a switch, boom, wow, yeah, I just all of a sudden love everybody, wow. Everybody love everybody. Like that's what's going on. No, that's not how it works because love is an action. Love is also a process. And so if you're on a journey in a relationship with God, every single day should be a moment where you have the opportunity to grow in learning what love really is and subsequently learning what love has to do with it. Because ultimately, God's trying to get at our hearts. He's trying to bring transformation to a broken world that needs him, and he is the only answer and the only solution. So the more that we continue to look around us to alternate solutions and alternate options and different ways of being comfortable with our own brokenness so that we don't have to change, then we end up missing more and more the potential of what's right in front of us. I don't know what, I don't, marriage is on the forefront of my mind as I think about this today. Like, you know, last week was Valentine's Day, if you missed it, then you missed it. <laughs> Wait for next year. You got a year to make it up. But here's the thing is that as, as, we, as we look at just even the most intimate relationships that you can possibly have, the only way for them to be the, as successful as God intends them to be is that you are pursuing the type of love that comes from God. When you go into any type of relationship, whether it's friendship, romantic, even professional, and you go into it with a, with a love for a potential relationship that is birthed out of you trying to serve something within yourself, you are on an automatic path to destruction. Because you're only going to build something for yourself, and when that doesn't begin to build, your nature inside of you, that, that, that nature of brokenness that we all deal with from time to time, will begin to claw its way out to preserve itself and to establish itself and to protect itself. And in doing so, it will destroy everything in its path. That's why what Jesus did on his earthly ministry in person, when he was around people that were seemingly his enemies, they were enemies to him, but he didn't see him that way. That's a cool thing. But when he was around the individuals that most of us would be like, hey, um, I'm not sure if I'm in friendly territory, those were the moments where Jesus demonstrated the, the greatest amounts of love. And those that everybody expected Jesus to be throwing, throwing down on were the ones that he extended the most grace to. There, there's a model there that there's something inside of me. I don't even know if I have the words to it. There's something inside me There's so, it's so powerful for us to grasp this as people and as a church that we have to wrestle with this topic of love because it's the foundation for absolutely everything that we would ever do in our life and the foundation of anything that we will ever attempt to do as a church. 
If we ever get to the point where it's all about what we are doing and what we want and who we are, we're missing it. Because God's looking for willing vessels. God's looking for men and women who are willing to completely lay themselves down, their agendas, their, their goals, their aspirations, and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I don't know if those things that were, were in my heart were there from you or they're just there for me, but I want to lay everything down that's inside of me and surrender myself to you, Father, so that you can do in and through me what only you can do. I'm telling you, some of us, are, are, some of us have been praying for breakthroughs that haven't happened because God brought you to a place of breakthrough, and, and you understand that word, right? To break through, you actually have to make contact with something and go through it. And so we get to this point of breakthrough and, and we stop short because it, it, it seems like I've come up against an obstacle. Yeah. And most of the time, the greatest obstacle that we come up against is ourself. So love ends up being a thing that we're not wrestling with other people. This is something in which we have to wrestle with within ourselves. Because Jesus didn't, his, his ministry wasn't successful because he convinced everybody else to love him. His ministry was successful because he continued to love those around him. Through every step of persecution, through every step of rejection, from his family rejecting him for, oh, you're, you're the Messiah. All right, fantastic. But I was good around the Thanksgiving table. I realized they didn't have Thanksgiving. You don't have to. The book of, I'll read in the book of James because he was one of Jesus' physical brothers, or I guess you could say a half-brother if you break it down. And, and he was late to the party because he was one of the ones that when Jesus was beginning his ministry, he was, he was kind of basically making fun of his brother for, for being confident in who he was. But later he, he gets it. But Jesus faced persecution, whether it was the hardness in his own family, whether it was the towns and the villages that rejected him because he didn't, he didn't measure up to what they think a Messiah should measure up to, whether it was the authorities of government that ultimately sent him to his death and crucifixion, that yes, even though it was the plan and the part of God, there was a moment in transparency in Jesus' humanity where he's saying, Father, if, you can, if it's possible for me to not have to do this, that would be great. But not my will, but yours be done. I wonder if what would happen if we begin to embrace that mentality when it comes to loving people. God, not my will, but yours be done. Because my will wants to take the fivefold ministry and put it right upside their face. But not my will, but yours be done. Like what, I know it's comical, but what would, what would happen if we embrace that mentality when it comes to loving people around us? Yeah, it's easy to love people that love you back. It's easy to love people that agree with everything that you say. It's easy to love people who don't have a hair trigger when it comes to, you know, in an anger issue when it comes to response and communication. It's easy to love people who like what you post. But when all of a sudden when things begin to shift and change, you know, it's, it's easy to love people who just gave you a raise, not those who just took your job from you. What if we begin to embrace a different mentality? Spiritual growth isn't about how much Bible you get taught and how many courses you go through and how many books you read. Spiritual growth starts on the foundation of understanding who God is and the love of God. So I feel like we could, we could you know, pastor, this is great. This is, uh, you know, love, that's good. When are, when are we going to get to the book of Revelation? When are we going to get into some real substance? Because if we don't get this set as a foundation in our life, nothing else matters. Can I, can I prove it to you? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Online it was muted. There was massive response to that particular point. They were so excited to hear what 
1 Corinthians 13, the Holy Spirit is speaking through the Apostle Paul when he says this. If I, this is the message, I'm sorry, in the, uh, the Passion Translation, because just listen to this. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongue of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with the profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but never learn to love, then I'm nothing. If I were to be so generous as to give away everything that I own to feed the poor and offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. God is saying, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you know. And I don't care what you give. If there's not agape love at the foundation in the heart of who you are and what you're doing, then everything else means nothing. What we, I believe, we're experiencing for the most part when we look at the world around us, and, and even if we were to make it more personal within the church context, is we have people who are more concerned with what they know and what they are doing than with loving. And if we want to see a revival, and a revival is nothing more than seeing like the true heart of God come alive through power and real things through his people, where the church actually becomes the church of what we read in the book of Acts. When we begin to see the things in red letters and the gospels and the stuff that Jesus did, when we begin to see those things happen, when we see the miracles and the signs and the wonders begin to return, not because the power of God went somewhere, but because the love that God's people had for the world around us went somewhere. When those things begin to return and we begin to get convicted about being exactly to the world around us what we have received from God ourselves, Revival will begin to happen. Things will begin to break out. But it can never be about, hey, look at what we did. Look at uh, how much money we gave away. Hey, look at how much we operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Look at how free we are. None of that matters if what we're doing isn't founded and motivated and empowered with the love of God. None of it matters. We can go out and plant a 1,000 churches in the next year. We can see millions of people impacted by the ministries and what we do. But at the core, God's trying to get to your core. At the core of who we are and the core of what we do, if it's not inspired and motivated by love, number one, it won't last. Because God's love doesn't just take you places you can't go on your own. It also sustains you in places you can't go on your own. We need the power of God. We need the love of God. And we need to be motivated as we go out. There's more that we're going to get to. I think I'm going to get to it next week because I think this is where God wants us to stop today. But we need to understand something that, listen, <clears throat> Love of God leads to love of people. Love of God leads to love of people. And I know there might be places where, like, man, okay, I'm, I'm personally challenged by that today. Like, Because I, I can think of some people that love may not be the first thing that comes to mind when, when a face pops up or, you know. And that's okay, that's real. Like, nobody's expecting, like you said, be perfect. Okay, now we have to go out and be perfect with God's perfect love. No, take the pressure off of yourself. This isn't your works, your strengths, your efforts. This is us saying, God, we need your help. God, we need what you've done for us to come so alive inside of us that it becomes real for other people. Who, who, who here is willing to embrace this challenge today? God, help me with your love. And help me to love the way, not that I receive love, not the way that I think love is, not what I've been told love is, because most people in our world have not been shown the love of God. We've been shown different variations of broken love. 
But God's trying to bring and rebirth back inside of every single one of us this desire, this need, this hunger to, to not be able to even exist outside of the love of God. And that's the love that I do with all my heart, I believe, is going to change the world. Can you do me a favor? Close your, close your Bibles. I want to pray for you. <clears throat> If we were to do an altar call about this right now, the honest truth is that every single one of us should be responding to it. So, so we'll just do it where you are in your seat. We'll respond to God today. Because the need, the need for us to be everything that the world needs is, is, is substantial and it's real. But it's, it's never going to be accomplished on our own. It's never going to happen because you woke up one day and all of a sudden your own willpower and your own strength gave you what you needed. No, every single day, come on, God is looking for us to rely on him. Intimate relationship with God. Reliance upon the Holy Spirit of God to be what only he knows and says that we can be. He doesn't say go love the world and then not empower us to go love the world. He sent us his Holy Spirit to give us the power to be a bold witness in the world around us. And I'm telling you, church, there is no greater witness than to love those who don't return the love back. Returning hate for hate has never helped anybody. Being right has never helped anybody. So I pray for every single one of us, myself included. Father, we we need your help. God, we cry out to you today for to intervene in our own lives. God, we know that we have experienced your love and we know that we have received your love, but God, we don't wanna hoard your love. We don't wanna be selfish with your love. God, we, we confess today with our own mouths, we confess, Father, that your love is not gonna be diminished for us when we share it with others. That we're not gonna be lacking for more of your love in our own life because, the we, because we're giving out what you've poured into us. Father, your love is a never-ending spring of life. And not only do we receive it for ourselves, but we ask for your help, Father, for your Holy Spirit to come alive inside of your people and alive inside of your church. Help us to love those that are hard to love. Help us to love those, God, that the world would say we are justified in hating, in rejecting, those that believe different, those that live different, those who are, that oppose us, those who are against us, those who would attempt to silence us, those who would attempt to shut us down those who would uh, force us to, to attempt to put our faith in something else other than you. God, they're not the enemy. Lord, your word tells us that the enemy is not flesh and blood, that our enemy is not people who would position themselves against us, but it's the principalities and the powers of the unseen in the dark world. So Father, if that's the case, then we choose today, even if we're saying it with faith and saying, God, I have faith, but I need you to help me with my unbelief. Father, we... We choose your love today, not just for ourselves, but for those around us that are in need of it. Somebody's here today, you've been struggling with unforgiveness. Like ever since we've talked about loving those that, that may hate you, you've, you've had a name in your mind, you've had a face in your mind, and it's even, even the thought of it has caused your blood pressure to go up while you're sitting here. I just feel like God wants to comfort you and let you know that, hey, listen, you need to let go of that. You need to forgive that person. You need to forgive that individual. 
You're giving them more authority over your life than you're giving to the Lord by holding on forgiveness. So Father, we just come before you. We open up our hearts. We humble ourselves before you today. And we ask Jesus, not in the soft, cushy moments where it's easy to love others, but in the hardest moments. Or this week, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe later in the week, but we're all gonna be faced with it this week. That when we do find that moment that you would help us, Father, to put our eyes on you, to magnify you, to make you bigger in our heart and in our reality and in our mind, that we would remember that we have received much love and we have a responsibility to give much love. Thank you again for joining us on the Combo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Combo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to combochurch.com and simply click the give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.